Greetings to you all. I'm trusting that you really enjoyed my wife's series. It was a prophetic word that was very powerful on a new season. Please keep pondering on those particular words because I believe that we're in a new season. God has really been good to us and we finally managed to secure a wonderful piece of land which is uh, in the Mnandi area between Centurion and Johannesburg, so the western side of Centurion. We're so grateful for this and we'll be merging the two congregations, the Joburg one and the Centurion one um, at the early part of next year. So some of you might have missed that announcement. We've been talking about it quite a bit in our in-person services, but some of you online have perhaps missed that. So God is up to something and we're going to build something really phenomenal and I believe that this is for the nations. So we just want to continue having a servant's heart. We're excited about this. We really believe that God is up to something and uh, he's preparing us for the harvest. So isn't that awesome? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you're teaching us. We thank you for this journey in prayer that you've taken us on and for how you've shown us, Father, that you're so faithful. Lord, we're so open to what you want to do in our hearts and in our lives. And we ask that you come now and continue teaching us with regards to prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, I want to speak on the subject, breaking limitations in prayer, breaking limitations in prayer. And throughout this prayer series, as we've been covering various aspects and dimensions of prayer, you'll see that they're all really to do with breaking limitations. For example, when you pray the word, like my wife taught last week, you are actually breaking limitations, aren't you? Because you're praying God's word, not your own words. I want to share with you six particular areas where we need to break common limitations in our understanding of prayer. And I believe that once we change our mindset in these areas, we will see a shift in the results of our prayers. You see, many believers fail to excel in their prayer lives because they underestimate the power of prayer. John Wesley said, God does nothing but by prayer and everything with it. God does nothing but by prayer and everything with it. Prayer is so powerful, so powerful. And if we have a revelation of the power of prayer, we'd be praying more and more. So what's this first understanding we need to have? What's this first shift I want to share with you? Here it is. Our prayers have no geographical limitation. Our prayers are not limited geographically. This is so crucial. In Colossians 2 verse 5, it says, For though I am present, for though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So Paul the Apostle is actually saying something so powerful here. He's saying that his body might be absent from them, but there is another part of him that is not absent. And I'll unpack this concept further when I teach on the human spirit. In fact, the born again spirit, when I'll, I'll do a series on that quite soon. But the point is that this verse is actually showing us that while the physical body is limited in its impact, because it can't be everywhere, right? The spirit can break geographical boundaries. 
And some years ago, the Lord began to teach me how to position myself spiritually over places and households as I prayed. You know, and sometimes this helps us as a point of contact for faith. And other times it's actually a spiritual reality. And I'll unpack this when I talk about the human spirit. But it's important to understand that there are times when your spirit can literally go places and have an impact there. So there's impact we have just because of our prayers, okay? You can pray for someone in, a, uh, in another country, for example, and that prayer can be just as powerful as you praying for the person next door, right? There isn't that same type of distance in the spirit realm. It's important to understand that and to be spiritually minded. But it's also important to understand that in the same way that Paul the Apostle says, for though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, it's important to understand this principle. It's a spiritual reality. It's a spiritual reality. You know, when I see some people weeping over nations that are actually far away from them, I see that they understand that prayer has no geographical limitations. It was so powerful the other day in one of the prayer meetings and Pastor Vim began to weep concerning the United Kingdom. And I know that she's got a burden for the UK at the moment, right? But uh, God can give you such a heart. And when you see someone really interceding like that, you can see that they have that revelation that, you know what, the distance doesn't matter. The distance doesn't matter, right? So many of Paul's prayers and his prayer requests were to do with people afar. So important. Do not limit your prayers to your geographical location. Yes, we must pray for the people who are physically close to us, but your prayers can be just as powerful as you pray for people who are far away. So I'm here in South Africa, but I can pray for Yemen. I can pray for Bhutan. I can pray for Outer Mongolia. Why not? There have been times in my prayer times where God will give me country flags. And I find myself, huh, I'm praying for this situation, but it's a country so far away. And you see, sometimes with our unbelief, what ends up happening is we've got this thing of like, nah, me, nah, no. But remember, from God's perspective, the earth is tiny. Bible says the earth is my footstool, right? So the earth is tiny. So for God, he can place a burden on the heart of someone who's in Australia for, to pray for someone who's in Iceland, all right? Because the earth is so tiny from God's perspective. He's not thinking, oh, this person is so, so far away, right? The second limitation which we need to break off and an understanding we need to have with regards to our prayers is that our prayers are not limited in power. Our prayers are not limited in power. You know, in South Africa, we're experiencing what's called load shedding. And I need to explain this because often I use these terms and I'm speaking to a foreign audience and they're like, what? Load what? what? Load shedding? What's that? Okay. It's where basically there is planned, sometimes it's unplanned, right? Uh, removal of, of electricity right? Because the load is too much, right? Uh, the country is drawing too much power, right? So you'll find that you can be told this is your schedule, that you'll have no power from 4 a.m. to 6.30 a.m. And then again, later on, maybe from uh, 8 p.m. to 10.30 p.m. It's usually, uh, you know, for a two hour or two and a half hour period, right? But you know what's exciting? There's no load shedding when it comes to heavenly power from on high. It's not limited. It's not like God is stingy with his power. He wants us to flow with his power. And there's a constant supply of power. The Bible tells us that um, the 
prayer of the righteous man, when it's fervent, when it's ardent, when it's full of zeal, it says it's, it makes tremendous power available. It says it availeth much. Isn't that awesome? Right? So if you're in right standing with God and you're praying fervently, ardently, earnestly, guess what? Your prayer is powerful. So there's a constant supply of power. There's no cable theft when it comes to heavenly power. And that's another problem we have here in South Africa for those of you who are listening uh, from abroad and you're not familiar with uh, cable theft. It's where those cables that supply power to your neighborhood, where they're stolen by people, right? Uh, but there's no cable theft when it comes to heavenly power. You see, the aseity of God implies that he is self-sufficient. That's what we mean when we talk about God, God's aseity, right? Therefore, when it comes to power, he's the source of it. Right? He's not like a substation or a turbine that has, has had to convert the power. He's the originator of that power. There's no shortage of power. Right? You know, we often acknowledge God's power, but we treat it like it's elsewhere, far from us. Have you noticed that? Yes, he's powerful out there. But look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19-20. It says, And his incomparably great power for us who believe. So it's not tiny power for us who believe, it's incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Isn't it amazing? This is a revelation that Paul the Apostle had, that the power which is available for us who believe, it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, right? and seated him at the right hand of the Father in heavenly realms. That same power is alive and at work in you, alive and at work in me. Isn't that awesome? In Matthew 28, verse 18 to 19, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Isn't it amazing? So when I go and I do God's work, I'm going in the authority of Christ, right? All authority is delegated. So he gives me his authority and then I can function in that authority when I'm praying, when I'm rebuking the devil, when I'm rebuking demons, when I'm ministering to people. It's that authority. It's not my own authority. Isn't that phenomenal? Right? And it's interesting, he doesn't say half the authority has been given to me. He says all authority has been given to me. And then he says, therefore, I'm sending you. What are the implications? I'm sending you in my authority. That's the type of confidence we can have. When we pray in Jesus' name, when we say I'm, in, I'm praying in Jesus' name, that's not some secret formula. We're basically saying in Jesus' stead. It's as if Jesus is the one praying because I'm praying in his name. It's as if he's the one saying it. Right? So I must make sure I'm representing him well, that I'm praying prayers that he would be praying. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. His divine power has given us everything we need. Some translations say for life and godliness. So I've got everything I need for a strong prayer life. I've got everything I need to be a great husband. I've got everything I need to be a great pastor. I've got everything I need to be a great 
business person, consultant, whatever I am, great parent, I've got everything I need. When I marry people, when I do weddings, I say, dude, you've got everything you need in order to meet your wife's needs, right? You've got everything you need in order to be a godly husband. Because part of life and godliness, part of a godly life is being a husband, being a wife. And guess where we get that from? It says his divine power has given us everything we need. Not some of the things we need, everything we need. I want you to know as you're listening to this that your power is limitless. Your power is limitless. But here's the interesting thing. It says through our knowledge of him who called us. You see, so outside of a knowledge of Christ, we can't function in this power. So we'll function in this power to the degree to which we have a revelation of who Christ is. And that's why you see ignorance is not bliss. I need to meditate on God's nature. I need to meditate on the fact that he's omnipotent. I need to meditate on his goodness, knowing that he grants me this power. It's through our knowledge of him. Okay. So to the degree to which I know him, can I then walk in this power? That's why a lot of people who walk in power, we realize that this person has got some revelation of Christ. I need to learn that. I need to figure out what's that revelation he has. What's that understanding he has, you see? And so all the power we have that we function in must stem from a place of intimacy with Christ. It's through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Isn't that awesome? The third shift we need to make in terms of breaking limitations in our prayer lives is our prayers are effective even when we are few in number. People need to understand that. Sometimes we just assume that the more the merrier. If you can just get more people praying on a particular thing, then it's wonderful. But let me tell you something. It's better to have a few people who are full of faith praying into something and they're full of faith and they're in agreement with each other than a big crowd that's divided and that's in unbelief. So in that case, more is not merrier. It's important to understand this. In Matthew 18, verse 18 to 20, this is Jesus speaking. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. He doesn't say you have to be a massive crowd, right? He says, if two of you agree, right, about anything, you know, sometimes we've got this thing where we, we think, you know, for certain breakthroughs to take place, there have to be a million people agreeing. So don't look down on your prayer meeting if you've just got two or three people, because Jesus has basically said, you can get anything you ask for. It'll be done for you by my father if you're in agreement and if it's at least two of you. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. That should encourage us. Keep pushing in prayer. Be in agreement with your brother. Be in agreement with your sister. Right? But even if it's just a couple of you, it has great results. In Ezekiel 22 verse 30, it says, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land. So I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. He didn't say I was looking for a crowd that was going to stand in the gap. Just said, I was looking for someone. I was looking for someone. So Jesus talks about two or three agreeing. And here we see in Ezekiel, God is just saying, I'm just looking for someone. Is there at least one person who can stand in the gap? 
Sometimes you've been discouraged. You felt discouraged as an intercessor and you've thought to yourself, but it's just me. I'm alone. It's just me. Well, you know what? Just you is good enough. Just you is good enough. God wasn't looking for the masses, but one person was enough for him to preserve the land. So when the land is not preserved today, could it be that there isn't that one person? And by the way, when God looks for that one person, he's looking for someone whose heart is committed to him, whose heart is faithful toward him. Not just anyone who just blabber anything, right? And live anyhow, right? There's a specific person he's looking for. You know, it's so interesting how the presence of just a few righteous people can preserve a city. And you know, sometimes when you are an intercessor, it's not just about your prayers, but it's about your heart condition because very often people who pray, they're broken before God and they're hearing God and they're repenting before they pray. And they're they're that righteous person that God is looking for. And he can actually preserve a city, preserve a nation because of that intercessor whose heart is broken before God. He heals the land because of that. He's looking. That's why the Bible says, if my people who call me by name, right, would humble themselves, right, humble themselves, repent before God, seek my face, pray, then I will heal the land. It's your posture, not just what you're saying in your prayers. And you see this in Abraham's interaction with God with regards to Sodom. In Genesis 18, I'm going to read from verse 23 to 27, then I'm going to read verse 32. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abram spoke up again. Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for for lack of um, five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. It's so important to note that the role of intercessors is not limited to prayer, but sometimes they play a role in preserving the land because of their brokenness before God, because of their right standing with God. So important, but it doesn't have to be lots of us. In Acts chapter 9, 36 to 43, this is such a powerful example of how sometimes when it's just few people, sometimes the results are phenomenal. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lida was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lida, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them. And when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes 
and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with him. Now, sometimes you want a miracle to take place, but the people who are there can be very emotional. Maybe they're grieving. Maybe they're in unbelief. Maybe they've already accepted that this has happened. But it's interesting in verse 40. Peter didn't say, okay, let's have more crowds coming in so that the, the prayer will be more powerful. It says in verse 40, Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. How many of you know that for certain miracles to take place, you have to send certain people out? Sometimes you'll get greater results if you have just a few people who are full of faith than a big crowd, the masses, full of unbelief. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Isn't that powerful? Some miracles require the crowd to be sent out. Be careful of inviting too many people to a prayer meeting just because you want a crowd, but the people are in unbelief. It's better to have just a few people in faith than an unbelieving crowd. This is important. I've had times where I'll say, you know what, uh, my love, concerning this particular thing, please don't mention it to anyone. Just person X and person Y. I don't want everyone to know as we are birthing this thing in the spirit, as we are praying about this particular thing. This is the current situation, but this isn't for the crowds. The fourth thing I want to share with you in terms of shifts is that our prayers give us supernatural wisdom and prophetic advantage. This is so important. And we have to break the limitations of knowledge. We have to break out of that. You know, God adds his super to our natural knowledge. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 21b to 23, it says this. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. This is Daniel praying, right? You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. It's so important that in our prayers, we embrace prophetic advantage. We embrace the knowledge of God, the supernatural wisdom from on high. And we begin to pray from a place of revelation. In Amos chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. Are you praying prayers only based on your natural knowledge? Have you limited the power of your prayers to your natural knowledge? Are you tapping into wisdom from on high? In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, it says, For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I like it also in the NLT. It says, for who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. I want to encourage you as you pray to tap into this dimension. You have the Spirit of God helping you to pray. The Spirit of God. The Bible says that who knows the mind of God except the Spirit of God. And we have the Spirit of God in us. He's the one who's actually helping us to pray. So when you pray in the spirit, you can be praying from the very mind of God. Isn't that so powerful? Don't limit your knowledge. 
tap into his knowledge as you pray. The fifth shift we need to make when we are breaking out of limitations in prayer is understanding this. Our prayers can reverse decisions that have already been made. The Lord ministered to me recently with regards to this. In the book of Psalms 75, 6-7, it says, No one from the east or west or from the desert can exalt themselves. It is God who judges. He brings one down. He exalts another. Isn't that amazing? So those people who seem like they're in power right now aren't necessarily going to be there forever. That wicked boss of yours isn't going to be there forever. God is the one who's got the power to bring one down and exalt another. And man cannot demote that which God has promoted. If God has raised you up in this hour for a purpose, man cannot demote you. It doesn't matter what country you're living in, whether you're a foreigner or not. If God has promoted you, man cannot demote you. This is so important. If God has promoted you, officials will waver certain principles, certain policies just for your sake. Because God has raised you up. In Daniel chapter 2, Verse 21a, it says, He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. Isn't that powerful? He deposes kings and raises up others. Sometimes we've got this mindset that a decision has been made and it's final. This person is in this position and is super powerful, so it's final. I've received rejections that were later turned into acceptance. I've seen this in business contracts and also in the advancement of our church. When we were trusting God for uh, a certain facility to assist us in terms of our land, initially it was a rejection, right? And we were told, sorry, right? And I remember around that time, the Lord was just saying, no decision is final. These decisions aren't necessarily final. If I've opened the door, who can shut it? And literally about a week later, it was reversed. And it was an acceptance. Okay. So I've seen it. I've seen it with business contracts where you're told, no, 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 this can't work. No, sorry, we can't do this. Right. But as we pray, we see things turning around and all of a sudden it's, yes, we can. All right. So um, it's, it's so crucial, so crucial to understand this principle. If God has opened a door for you, he opens doors that no man can shut. Please understand this. He opens doors that no man can shut. So the way the enemy tricks you is to convince you that it's a a closed door. And maybe someone who's demonically inspired might come and just say, sorry, we can't help you. And you agree with the enemy. And that's why sometimes we have to learn how to reject rejections. Okay. Now, if it's a closed door, it's a closed door. But there are many times when Christians don't know how to reject rejections. Please understand this. You see, the enemy's strategy is to get us to accept the rejection. And he uses trickery to get us to agree with his plan for us not to be elevated. Okay, learn to reject the rejection. If you know that it's actually a door that God has already opened. Please understand that. That wicked boss will not remain there forever. You know, in 2 Kings chapter 21 to 6, it says, In those days Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says, Put your house in order because you are going to die. 
you will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I've walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion. He was a righteous king and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David, says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day from now on, now you will go up to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. It's important to understand what is happening in those times that um, Judah was there between uh, Egypt, a superpower, and Syria, another superpower, right? And they would experience all sorts of things and Egypt would encourage them to rebel against uh, Syria and so on. But the point I'm making is that they were going through a lot, but he was able to pray. And the situation was reversed. You know that it's important to be able to pray strong prayers where sometimes you can say, I cancel your appointment with death. We reverse this particular thing. Maybe there's judgment on someone. Maybe someone is experiencing certain consequences. But I believe that our prayers are so powerful, they can reverse certain things. Right? And that's what the role of an intercessor is. Sometimes we play that particular role. The sixth thing I want to share with you. It's a mindset that we must actually have in order to break limitations in prayer is that our prayers establish things that the enemy cannot reverse. Our prayers establish things that the enemy cannot reverse. Our prayers have staying power. There's a permanence to the effect of our prayers. And sadly, some people act like God changes his mind super easily. You know, you pray for breakthrough, the breakthrough comes and you feel so insecure that tomorrow it's going to leave, that there's some catch to this. Okay. Now, <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12, verse 27 to 28 says, the words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. We're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. When the shaking comes, there's certain things that are shaken. It's the shakeable things, the material things, the created things. They can be shaken, but there's the unshakable. And that's why it's important for us to build on the unshakable. And those things cannot be reversed. They cannot be shaken by the enemy. In Matthew 16, 18, it says, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Again, a powerful statement. What is Jesus talking about when he says, and on this rock, he's not talking about Peter because Peter is little rock, Petros. He's, the word used here is Petra, which is big rock. It's the revelation of the Christ. And he says, and on this rock, on this revelation of the Christ, I will build my church. And guess what? The gates of Hades will not overcome it. So if I do not want to be overcome in this life, I must be building on an unshakable foundation. You see, in Psalm 55 verse 22, it says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. 
you can stand firm knowing that you will not be shaken. We must not limit our prayers to be these prayers that have no power, where the prayers reversed the following day. Okay? The Bible speaking of Samuel, it says, none of his words fell to the ground. The Bible speaking of the word of God says, I'll send my word out and it doesn't return void. It continues circling, circling, circling until it's accomplished that which it was purposed to accomplish. Very important. In Matthew 24, 35, it says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. As we release his word in prayer, what we learned last week, as we release his word in prayer, his word never passes away. People pass away, but there's the staying power of your prayers. Right? If, if you die tomorrow, your prayers are still circling and they, they've, they've got a powerful impact. The prayers that you prayed yesterday are still available, making a difference. Isn't that awesome? Think of prayers that have been prayed generations ago still effective today. In the book of Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 to 8, and I've alluded to this, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. God has opened doors for you that no one can shut. But what the enemy does is he comes and lies to you. Someone just whispers to you saying, sorry, the door has been shut and you believe it, but it hasn't been shut. Because an open door, no one can shut. If it's a door that God has opened. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Isn't that powerful? In Malachi 3 verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. He's immutable. He doesn't change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. What promises has he made over you? I, the Lord, do not change. How has he called you? The Bible says the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. In the book of Psalms 102, verse 25 to 27, it says, In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them and they will be discarded, but you remain the same and your years will never end. I want to end by sharing with you that something that E.M. Bounds said in Power Through Prayer. Spiritual work is taxing work and men are loath to do it. Praying, true praying, costs an outlay of serious attention and of time, which flesh and blood do not relish. You see, I'm fully aware that devotion to prayer is not easy. However, when we have a revelation of the limitless power of prayer, great possibilities are opened up to us. And this knowledge becomes a greater motivator for another level. Of prayer. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we ask for your divine assistance. Father, may we break out of limitations in prayer where we've limited ourselves in terms of thinking that prayer is powerful, yes, but for other people out there, where we've limited ourselves by thinking, 
I cannot pray for other nations because they're far away from me. Where we've limited ourselves by thinking we're too few to really have impact in our prayers. Father, may we, may we shift in paradigm. May we come to a place, Lord, where we have great belief in you, knowing that our prayers do make a difference. Our prayers do get results. Father, take us to a place, Lord, where we have deepened revelation of who Christ is in our lives. May we have revelation, Father God, that our spirit man is not limited to our physical body, but can have an impact in various places. Father, take us places in you, Lord, where our prayers break out of limitation. In Jesus' name we pray. I want to encourage you, keep praying. Join us in our prayer meetings and don't limit yourself in prayer. You have great authority because you walk in Christ's authority. God bless you. We love you.